I used to think I was something was wrong with me that I liked suffering. I liked things being hard. And now I understand that by going through those things and pushing myself past being physically strong, but to where I have to be really mentally strong, that's where I get into suffering and overcoming it. And and then you get the flip side of that, which is uh, just just a, I think a greater depth of appreciation for a success or even if it's a failure it's a greater appreciation for the people you're climbing with and for the sunrise and all these little things that make climbing really special to me. My friends, those beautiful, introspective words were spoken by Hillary Nelson, one of the greatest ski mountaineers to ever grace this earth, who unfortunately passed away um, in an accident on Manaslu out in Nepal uh, while trying to ski off the summit with uh, her partner, Jim Morrison. I know that our outdoor community is gutted by this loss, as I am. I think a lot of people are at a loss for words. Um, when your inspirations, when an icon of this stature perishes, it, it often feels unfathomable, despite the level of risk that some of these incredible athletes take on. Um, there's some people who you just feel are infallible um, and you never think it'll happen. And Hillary was one of them. Um, she means so much to so many. And my heart, Emily's heart, absolutely goes out to Jim, to Hillary's kids, to everybody who knew her, who was inspired by her. Um, this was one of my favorite interviews from the Stokecast. And so, um, pardon the noise all around me, I'm sitting here in uh, the airport in Nashville, I'm about to board a plane, but I thought, given the circumstances, I needed to revisit the interview that we did with Hillary back in 2019, about a month and a half after she and Jim returned from skiing the uh, Lotse Kular. And Emily and I spoke today and thought it was worth republishing in honor of Hillary. So please enjoy. Rest in peace, Hillary. We'll miss you. Hillary, so good to have you on the Stokecast. Thank you for joining us. How are you? I am really good. How are you guys tonight? Amazing. Do amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say doing doing great, but amazing captures it well. <laughs> I'm freezing actually. I'm in I'm home in Telluride, Colorado, and it uh, has been a balmy like 2 degrees oh every my morning. Gosh. Yikes. It is so cold. Yeah, oh. so I'm I'm a I should be used to being cold. You would think I would be used to it, but I'm not. I'm never I'm never quite ready for it. No, no. I, I mean, unless you're, like, gearing up and getting ready mentally and physically to, like, you know, get into the cold, I feel like <laughs> I'm, I'm the same way. Like, I, I don't mind negative 15 if I'm ready for it, but otherwise, like, in a blanket by the fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I feel like I'm probably coldest when I'm going to my car from my house than any other time when I'm like out in the mountains in the winter. Right, because you're trying to just sneak through and maybe you don't put that jacket on or the hat and it's like, it's cold. Right? <laughs> Has
has it been has it been dumping snow out there you know it's actually been quite good uh we don't have a ton of snow but if you want to compare it to last year it's winter and i'm so grateful for that Uh, this time last year it was 65 degrees and the grass was green and there was no winter so we have i have snow on my front porch the ski area is open and I'm, I, that's all I can ask for. I think everybody in town is pretty psyched to see snow. So, and it's supposed to start snowing all week. So that's another benefit. Yeah, that's, that's exciting. That's fantastic. It's, I mean, it's been the same out here for the, like the past couple of years. It's been like, I, I think two years ago I was paddle boarding in shorts on Christmas and, yeah, scary. and this week, scary. The, it's so scary. I mean, it was fun on that day. And it was, like, I was wearing like a, a jacket and a Santa hat and shorts and it was like very weird. But there's like right. a pit in your stomach. Yeah. You're kind of like, this is good for the moment, but I know this means something much worse. Right. But- right. Exactly. If you can just focus on that instant, you're having an awesome time and it's so cool, such a novelty to do that in December. But then when you actually start to really think about it, it's it's not that great. Totally. But I, I do think we're in the same boat on the East Coast here. I think we're expecting like... Uh, two or three feet up in New Hampshire this week. Oof. This is really... Well, I'm be traveling to Pittsburgh tomorrow, and I have a feeling I'm going to get caught in a snowstorm. Uh-oh. <laughs> this has turned into yeah. a good weather report from the Stonecast. Yeah, right? <laughs> so thanks, Hillary. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> as long as it maybe we're like... We'll, 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 we'll induct winter by talking about it. <laughs> maybe. Well, speaking of winter, so... Obviously, we know that you're a skier, but you just came back from quite an incredible feat expedition, if you will. Um, Do you want to start there and and tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I just got back, gosh, the first week of October, so a month and a half ago, and spent about five weeks in Nepal with my life partner, climbing partner, Jim Morrison, and we uh kind of tackled something that had been really an obsession of mine for a long time a decade even um longer maybe and same for him we came at it from different places but uh we were able to climb and ski Lhotse which is connected to Everest on its north shoulder Everest Everest south shoulder and ski the Lhotse Kuar, which had never been skied before, and it starts just below 28,000 feet. And I don't know. It was rad. It was so... Oh, my God. And that's, it, was, it was so good. It was cool. That's and, like a 2,000-foot Kular almost, right? And a 7,000-foot line? Total line is 7,000 feet. You're in the Kuar, yeah, for like 1,800 feet, and then it, it kind of spits you out onto the Lhotse face, which is like as opposite of a Kuar as you can get. It's just this big, massive, it's got to be a half a mile wide, this huge face that's really steep and sustained for 5,000 feet. Wow. This is wild. So <laughs> what, what, cool. what kind of pitch is like, is sustained? I mean, you skied off the summit. So like, it was it kind of like a blind roll in or it kind of described the going into that and how steep it stays for so long? <laughs> Um, the summit was definitely a blind roll in and was really steep, probably some of the steepest turns on the whole thing. I, I'd say it got close to 60 degrees, um, but it was it was soft, this like weird kind of rotten sugar snow. So when you turn, you sink all the way in. Um, 
And then after that, it fluctuated between, I don't know, 45 and maybe a little over 50 degrees. So probably averaging 48 to 50 degrees for the whole rest of the face. And the, the couloir has this kind of pinch that narrows and gets really steep in there. So, um, yeah, yeah, you pre- you had to be on it the whole time, but wow, but it it was the snow was enough that you could you know you could take a lot of rests and you could even kind of lay down on your side and oh, wow. catch your breath, all that kind. Of, yeah, so so it was it was just very you know you're just looking all the way down to the bottom the whole time. So that part's pretty intense. Wow. Yikes. Well, so, okay, so this is the most recent thing that's happened, but I, I kind of want to, and then I know I asked this question, but I want to take a step back and, and kind of understand the well, mindset well, of someone. No, hold you on. have too many uh-uh. questions I, about this I want to know more about this. So, just one more question. Did, did you actually climb up the same route? Like, what was your route to the top? Because I know uh, approaching any kind of line like that, it's often good to climb it so you know what kind of snow you're dropping into. Yeah, we did. We climbed up the route, uh, the exact route, um, pretty much the exact route that we skied down. Once we got out of the couloir and under the Lotse face, we, we, we went away from our uphill track, but we could see what the snow was like, so it was fine. But we, yeah, we climbed up what we skied down. Okay, solid. Good, good, good info for our listeners, right? Do you want you gotta, any more? You, no, no, that's all the questions for now. I'm gonna have lots more. Yeah. But, but let's, Emily, mindset, go. Yeah. I'm just trying to think. So, I, you said you've you've had this kind of on your radar for quite a few years now, um, and so maybe taking a step back and understanding where you're coming from, from right the Pacific Northwest where you grew up to being a this person who wants to go after something like that, and what that drive is from. Well, I, I mean, I'm a ski mountaineer, which right there is like possibly one of the most obscure sports out there. <laughs> so, I mean, that immediately sort of lends itself to a, a small group of people that are really dedicated ski mountaineers. And then that further, you know, like, like any sport, there's sort of, um, lines uh there's 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 goals within that community there's things that are really respected there are things that are really remote um there are you know the test pieces all different kind of ways to build up to what i think is sort of one of the ultimate high altitude ski lines and i mean it's take i mean i've been doing this for almost 20 years professionally so that tells you how long I mean, I'm old to begin with, but uh, <laughs> I hate that. But I feel like I still feel strong, so I'm gonna keep at it. But um, please do. I don't know. It just, it just uh, I, I guess the best way to relate it would be from the very first expedition I ever went on uh, was in 1999. This was a long time ago, and I was in India, and I remember a friend of mine pointing out this peak called. I didn't know what it was called at the time. Um, and I took, I had this little like four by six photo of it. And at that time I was in my early twenties and looking at this mountain was just like, there is no way I will ever be able to do that. And I just really dug my nails 
into the sport and spent years learning and trying all different kinds of test pieces. I found myself really suited to high altitude. And eventually I was able to go back and actually climb and ski that line. And that is sort of the same story with Lotse. It's something that I saw and thought was beyond my reach. And I then have a tendency to obsess and work really hard and figure out how to make it within my reach. And it's not always great for the people who have to live with me and around me. (laughs) I get those things stuck in my head, but, um, yeah, that's, it's just time and there's a lot of luck to it. And, um, a little bit of obsession, I guess, is what got me there. Now, even still, when you go back and look at some of these these peaks on these expeditions, or even going to Lhotse and and looking up at it for that trip, when you have prepared, you've put in the time, and you were working towards it, did you kind of still feel that like that there's no way thing? Because like I, I mean, I've done Rainier, but every time I go back to splitboard it, I look at it and I'm like, no way. <laughs> like yeah. even still, I mean, if you go back to your question about climbing up the route to ski down Lhotse, for example. I mean, we were probably less than an hour from the summit and I was still not convinced it was going to happen. I was still like, oh my gosh, so much can go wrong in the hour between it being here and being on the summit. And I think it's not always healthy to approach a climb like that. It's sort of self-defeating, but in in some way, the way my brain works, it's also motivating to prove that that part of my brain wrong and be like, no, you got to keep pushing. That's how you make this happen. You keep you keep trying, like you know, staying within a healthy realm of risk. You you keep pushing and you keep trying, and you, you really are your own champion for making it happen. Um, and I think that is probably what I've learned the most through all the expeditions and things that I've done is that it's really easy to, to give up and you're not always doing it for the right reasons. And so, yeah, you, I I don't know. I, I kind of go through this whole mental circus, um, and it's more that mentality than it is the physicality to, to sort of be successful, I think. Sorry, my phone just beeped. <laughs> That's all right. Well, you, you brought up a, a great point right there. Like, how do you balance the side of your brain that is saying, push it, this is what you need to do to get there, uh, and, and you can do this, versus the side that, you know, the risk management side? Like, what, what does healthy room for risk look like for you? I, I mean, that's something that that is a very, very much of a balancing act. Uh, you know, Emily, you said you talked about balance early on, but like uh, balancing, uh, like I'll never say my life is in balance, but it would, when it comes to like the moment of climbing and being on a mount, oh my God, everything's beeping. Sorry. <laughs> uh, when it comes to that moment, the, there really is sort of that sweet spot where you're pushing yourself and there, and there's risk because it's not, it's not worth it. If there isn't, I wouldn't say it's not worth it, but you're, you're there for the risk taking. I mean, that that's the whole foundation of the trip is you're taking a risk. You're taking a risk at trying this new thing or this new line or doing something a different way that inherently is risky. 
And so then it's just a matter of absorbing the risk. And I think it's also time and experience that helps you assess it really quickly and in the moment. And that not only is everything that's happening on happening outside of me, but also what's happening inside of me physically and just being able, it's hard even to explain it. I'm so familiar with it. Sometimes it's just a gut feeling that you can't, you have to turn around and I don't have a good explanation for why I just don't want to be there anymore. And I, I'll end an expedition or turn around or, or do anything to get out of that spot. Um, and then in, in other cases, I have the confidence, even if the risk is high and I'm willing to keep pushing through. So yeah, that is a balancing act and it's one that requires a lot of presence. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you're saying, so you, you're looking up at these mountains or these couloirs or these lines and saying, there's no way I can do that. But even saying that, then you go back and you are obviously putting in some level of work to maybe it's not solely to get to that peak or to that, you know, line or whatever it is, but it's obviously moving towards that. So it's interesting that you're almost challenging. You're like challenging yourself by saying that and then yeah. proving yourself wrong. And every time that you go and wow, that's, <laughs> I got to use that a little bit more. I think that might work. on yeah, me. It's just Like it's like being your own, like, Freud or something. I don't, I don't even know who, which. I like it. I like that, that way of thinking because I think that's also like, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to put words in your mouth and you can, you know, um, prove, uh, say anything else here. But like, you know, it's, I think it's oftentimes hard for, well, we don't have a lot of role models as women, or maybe when you started out, right, 20 years ago, you said you've been doing this. Um, like, you, who did you have to look to to say, okay, well, like, she's doing it, I can do it too. Um, so I feel like that self-doubt may have been a little bit about that. I mean, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think uh, in large part, yes, I agree that when I started this, you know, there, there really weren't a lot of female role models exactly in what I'm doing. And I was, but, but a huge part of it too is just not knowing myself and knowing mm -hmm. the capabilities that I have the, the, in the, I don't know. It's, it's tough. Like, describing the independence because a lot of it also does depend on your team, but it took me a long time to get to a place where I just had my own opinions about a route or certain conditions or the day we wanted to climb, weather, whatever it is, the technicalities of the gear we were using. It totally took me a long time to figure out how, how to, be my own competitor. Yeah. If that's the right word. No, that, and, that makes sense. Yeah. And to, and to be able to trust, I mean, I'll throw my kids in there, basically having kids and being pregnant and going through labor and 
having my body do these things that were not in my control, but almost being an outside observer and seeing how much pain you can actually withstand and how much, um, how much you can adapt to situations. It really has given me incredible confidence in climbing. It seems like a crazy source for confidence, but <laughs> it really, um, I think it's, it seems like a perfect source for confidence. I mean, I, I think it's like once when you go, whether through an expedition or, or a race or anything that you go through that you push your body past the point of pain and mentally it's like physically you think that you should stop, but mentally you just keep pushing forward. And I, I can cannot say anything in the realm of pregnancy, but can, <laughs> right. can but imagine, yeah, like that's a perfect comparison for being able to draw you know draw and drive motivation because like when yeah. when i was like caught in a bay uh last winter uh, kayaking and and thought like i was going to get caught in the current and my finger my hands were going to freeze it was like mid-december and there were waves crashing over my kayak and all i kept thinking about was the last hardest thing i did denali and i was like you can get through this Right. So I can imagine you can you can point back to a number of different things, pregnancy uh, and giving birth included, to be like, no, Hillary, you got this. Yeah, and that and that is a huge part of it, and a lot of it, it it's it's from that part of my life, and it's also from different expeditions. It's from it's from personal relationships I've had that I've suffered in and and found my way through, um, all of those things. I, I, I wouldn't say I channel, that's maybe a little too, <laughs> too strong, but like I use when I'm climbing and, and it is when I get to those moments of doubt, I'm like, dude, I, I've got this, like you have this depth of experience and, and I, I know enough about myself now that I, I used to think I was, something was wrong with me that I liked suffering. I liked things being hard. And now I understand that by going through those things and pushing myself past being physically strong, but to where I have to be really mentally strong, that's where I get into suffering and overcoming it. And, and then you get the flip side of that, which is uh, just, just a, I think, a greater depth of appreciation for a success or even if it's a failure it's a greater appreciation for the people you're climbing with and for the sunrise and all these little things that make climbing really special to me wow <laughs> one thing that you touched on uh was that like you weren't sure how much of it was was like individual about you or um you know credited to the team that you were with and I, I'm curious how how much credit you give the people around you or you know the relationships that you've built or pursued or or whatever to where you've gotten because I know like that some of the things I would have never done without finding the right people who uh, were just as crazy as me if not crazier right and and it's a it's a matter of right. of being in the right place or you know taking the initiative or just to surround yourself with people who will push you yeah I mean, I think in my life there are two categories of people that have really, like, helped me and influenced me and allowed me to 
be who and what I am. Cause I'm not always, I mean, nobody is always an easy person. I'm just, I'm not easy. I'm, I, I have to move all the time. I, I'm, I, I can be incredibly like singularly focused. Um, but the, the, the first group of people are the ones that I'm home with, like my friends and my family that are very understanding in those realms that support me, even though they think what I'm doing is totally insane or crazy or, you know, they, they support me, especially in probably the most guilt ridden part of my life. And that's like, you know, leaving my kids to go climb a mountain. That seems crazy and hard. And yet somehow I can adapt and I can do it. And I have people in my life that support me in that. And then there's the people that I climb with. And that has been a huge influence in my life because it's, it's expanded my perspective of, of what is normal and what is possible. And just having that, that door open and kind of seeing the light through that crack really, um, lets me push myself and my crazy ideas aren't crazy to everyone. And, um, and then I get to go and climb with these people and, you know, sometimes it, sometimes the, the team dynamics don't work and there's so much to learn from that. And just as much as there is to learn from the team dynamics that do work. And I, I think it's all those influences that is been I've been very lucky to have in my life um and yeah I I think at some point I don't know hopefully I I can I can return that to some of the upcoming you know climbers and skiers and adventurers that are out there because I don't think I would be where I am without having had that in my life yeah, I think that's an incredibly good point, like that you have to have the support system in the in the foundation, and then you have to have people who are like pushing you along or um, that you're helping to push along. I think that's amazing. And so in, in that kind of wanting to do that for, you know, other people in the community or people who are coming up, I mean, you have quite the impressive resume of, of feats, if you will, now, and um, I'm sure you're not done yet, of course. Um, so, I mean, you're, you're doing these things, and you're the first woman to climb to 8,000 meters in 24 hours, right, Everest and Lhotse, um, and that was, what year was that now? It's a while was, ago. Well, that was a little while, yeah. 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 And so you, and obviously you're the, with the most recent, that's a, a first as well. And that's just first people, right? You and Jim were yeah. the first people to do that, which is great. And I think that, or do you think that rather these types of firsts and these types of pushing the boundaries are enabling those people in the community to, to push themselves as well and, 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 um, add another layer to, I guess, the sport overall? Yeah, I really do because I know, from my own experience that seeing people push the boundaries, Lynn Hill, Conrad Anchor, um, there's, you know, many of them out there, even looking at what Alex Honnold does and, uh, Emily Harrington. Like, I feel like I have so many people that I can draw inspiration from and, I, if they help me see things in a different light, then hopefully through 
the avenues I'm taking and the, the, the style I'm trying to do things in that that's helping others sort of see things differently and pursue things in their own unique way. So you, you brought up a name there, Conrad Anchor, and to the, the tune of be, you know, being a mentor uh, for the younger generation or, or being a leader in a way, you, know, you are uh, now the team captain for the North Face athlete team, right? You took the, took the torch from Conrad? I just, yeah, I took the torch from Conrad. We were just at the North Face Athlete Summit, and uh, it was actually in Puerto Rico, which was really cool. And uh, it wasn't quite a literal, uh, like, torch handing over, but it was pretty close. It was super, it was really fun. And, um, uh, yeah, I'm excited. Conrad's been doing it for a very long time, and so they're big shoes to fill. But uh, I just think I'm at a place in my life where um, I'm really excited about all the new crazy things that are happening, not only in my sport, but just in exploration in general. And so to have this, this platform and to, I don't know, share that with people looking for a door into this world and also, you know, just through my own exploits, I, I'm really excited about it. Nice. So in the in the before the recording, I think we talked about team captain. We were like, oh, it seems like high school again, right? But so what is <laughs> so what does that actually mean for the North Face? Like, what is what does that and entail? For you. And for you, yeah, what does it what does it mean? Well, you know, I keep referring to it as like, oh my gosh, I have like a real job all of a sudden. <laughs> but it's still it's something that's still very much to be crafted, Conrad sort of invented the position and so naturally just filled his role as a facilitator between the brand, the North Face, and the athletes and crafting this this team that I think is really special. And so I think what the biggest undertaking for myself and for sort of the people at the North Face who deal with the athlete team, et cetera, is really defining the job actually and how uh, how it will unfold in the years to come in terms of of what what does it mean to be the North Face captain and a lot of that is you know spending a lot more time in the office with the managers of the different athletes and helping find and source new athletes for the team and just listening to stories and, and being there for questions and ideas and a sounding board. So it's hopefully pretty organic and, um, fun, I think is a good word to say for it. And I'm, I don't know. I'm excited about it. I'm excited to find out what it is and to help create what it is. I, I'm sure. That I, is one of, the, one of the most unique jobs I think I've ever had. <laughs> it's like the yeah, coolest right. thing ever. No, it's, yeah. it's so cool. And I mean, from a, a onlooker's perspective, I think one of the coolest things I've seen Conrad doing in, in I don't know, the last decade is just like pulling new faces into big expeditions with like yeah. people that you already know. Right. And it's like a way right. to discover new people by like connecting the community. 
Right. And I think the best, really the best thing about that is, and, and North Face has a long history of, of mentoring, but what I've learned from, you know, seeing Conrad do this and sort of having him as a mentor for me for a long time is that, you know, now that I'm in that mentor position uh, with kind of quotations, because I feel like it's such a two-way street and it's such an opportunity for, for me to also see things differently through some of the younger, newer athletes that are on the team and, and just sort of like regain excitement. And I mean, a, a really good example was on this Lotse expedition. We had two filmers with us and, you know, they're 30 and they had never been into the Kumbu before. And this was kind of like a stretch given their previous climbing experience. And it was so like enlightening having them be there because they were so excited about everything that they saw. And it was this, you know, the, the light on the shoulder of Everest, the, the way the ice ball flowed down into the Kumbu, like all these things were just mesmerizing for them. And, and there's no way to escape it. Like, like bringing that newness back into my own vision instead of, you know, being like, Oh yeah, I've been there, seen that. Um, so, uh, you know, on one hand you're helping these guys navigate high altitude climbing and all, all the hard things that go with it. And then on the other hand, they're just like totally creating the stoke basically and the excitement and like that, that humming energy. And it was a huge part of like, I think why we were successful. It's like the fountain of youth. Love it. It's great. It's awesome. <laughs> I, I really feel yeah. like adventure sports are the fountain of youth. I remember living in, in Aspen and seeing uh, Klaus Obermeier on, on it, like the hill, just crushing it in his nineties. <laughs> And feeling yeah, like, right. I mean, when you get out there in the mountains, it keeps you young. I think it really does. It's that, it's the fresh air. It's your, you're just, your body is always in motion. You are meeting new people. Um, it just, it mixes up your day and it does, it, it is, it keeps you young. And sane. <laughs> it keeps you sane. So, I mean, with, with all of this going on, one, one thing I want to, uh, talk to you about and prod at a little is like, you, you know, you have this new position that you're kind of figuring out within the North Face team, uh, leading the North Face team. You have, um, you're a mother with two boys and have yeah. a family and uh, yet also this like incredibly ambitious, uh, accomplished outdoor athlete. Like how are, how are you kind of balancing all these different aspects of your life and, and speaking to the, the most recent expedition from Lotse, and the decompression that comes from that and the like the the wind up and ramp down in, in the media period and then like the next expedition whenever that becomes a thing that co pops into your mind like what is going on in, in your head to handle all this uh, ooh, that's a, <laughs> that is a good question it's funny because I, I really used to say like i used to talk about how how good I was at like, oh, you just really you have to work these things and you keep everything in balance. And I think as I've gotten older and I've, I've, I've gotten better at 
sort of seeing myself in reality. <laughs> I don't have great balance at all. Um, and I think I've, I've said this before recently that I'm striving for a lifetime balance. <laughs> and that isn't apparent in my day to day or week to week or month to month life, which is totally hectic and has its ups and downs. And I, I mean, it's, it, it's, so impossible to explain the high of being on top of Lotse and skiing it and then the low, the, the, the difficulties of coming back to real life and getting my mail and driving a car and all, all the sort of mundane things that um, I, w- I don't want to say depression, but it, it, it's it's hard. It's these big ups and downs that are part of my life. But I think I realize now that if I can strive for like lifetime balance, <laughs> that is, I'll be stoked on that. <laughs> so, but the day to day is chaos and the month to month is chaos. And I, I really like chaos. I get really bored when things aren't chaotic. So yeah, there's that. Oh, that's, that's good. I mean, that's actually something we've, we've talked about on the show before, like not having not having momentary balance, but having more of like this, you know, overarching umbrella kind of a long-term balance where you know you're dedicating enough time to the to the right things over a period of time, but where in the yeah. moment there are certain things, whether it be kids or relationships or job or adventure that, that need more attention than others. So that's, that's totally okay. Right. Um, and I think kids are a really good example of this, like my day-to-day chaos, but like over a time there's balance and in that day to day, yes, I, I miss things that I really don't want to miss at their schools or the kids have to deal with some of that like sadness, that post expedition, um, sort of feeling of being lost. You know, they have to deal with that. The stress of me leaving on a trip, the, um, just ups and downs of my travel, et cetera. But the, the overarching love that I have for them and they know that and that um, closeness that we have when you look over time is where I have to check in to make sure that we're all okay, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. So do you do you do that uh, kind of ad hoc or is it methodical? Like every couple of months, you'll try to just do like a pulse check with yourself and then kind of with your key relationships or goals or what have you. Uh, I would say it's more often than every couple of months. I would say it's, you know, unless I'm gone on a, a long trip. I mean, five weeks on those days is, is pretty long. Normally I'm gone, you know, two weeks here or three weeks tops. Um, so I would say that there's that, that checking in that sort of litmus test for that overarching wellness and balance every once a month. <laughs> I, I'm not as cognitive or conscious of that as I am speaking about it right now, but it is definitely that check-in point of like, okay, is it, do your kids feel loved? Are you nurturing your friendships? Have you had that conversation with your sister, with my sister? Like those kinds of things that are really important to me that I 
really need to check in with. I mean, and then of course there's like, did I pay my electricity bill? Is <laughs> that kind of balance too? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Now, when you're away, do you do you feel like I obviously you you sound like you are at home in the mountains, and uh, and then you have that kind of lull when you get back and that post expedition depression in a way uh, of of back to normalcy. But when you are in the mountains, are you kind of craving the normalcy? Are you like excited to get back home? Yeah, I am for sure. It's funny. It's, it's, uh, and I think that contributes to the roller coaster a little bit of, you know, that, the grass is greener syndrome of when I'm home, I'm sort of fantasizing and scheming about the next expedition and remembering like the purity and the presence and the excitement of being in the mountains in general and that that um survival mode that I really love and then when I'm in the mountains I miss and long for having a glass of wine with my girlfriends um going skiing with my kids uh taking a shower (laughs) sleeping in my bed you know those kinds of things and I think when you put too much energy into thinking about these sort of opposite places of where you're at, you can't, they can't help but fall short when you actually are in them. So that's where a little bit of that roller coaster and depression comes from in that I build these things up that to, to perfection. And then of course, when I, I get home, it's not perfect. And, and that's sort of, you know, that's what I struggle with sometimes. And eventually it, it evens out and, and there is balance in there, but yeah, that's definitely part of the struggle is just sort of over, overreaching my expectations of, of the opposite of where I am. <laughs> I, I hear you. I subscribe to that too. My my life is a, a constant push pull of the duality of the grass is always greener and the adventure versus the home life and and uh, always expecting more than I should in both both realms. Really, I just right. like the couch. So. <laughs> I know, right? Like the couch and like watching a movie on TV. It's so nice. But I mean, in the end, like the the overarching thing I walk away with is that I. I think I'm so lucky to have both of those parts to my life. And even though there's intermittent struggle on either end and there's crazy high elated moments and there's depression, et cetera, overall those two different people that are inside of me or those two different aspects of my life really make me, whole and they really fill me out to to I don't know to just feeling lucky and and I mean I I don't think I would change anything wow that's a great place to be I like the yeah place to be and it's not perfect all the time and I'm not happy all the time and I'm not I don't need to be happy all the time and it's it's just having this, these different influences in my life are really great. 
Love that. <laughs> oh, I always try to do the test of like, um, well, always is a strong word maybe, but generally I try to do the test of, okay, if I'm like on my deathbed, am I going to be mad at myself for doing and going after this or excited that I did that? Am I going to be mad that I missed out on this opportunity or am I going to be, you know, whatever it is. And I think that's a good test too of like, it's a good test. What? Yeah. Really good it is i mean life is short like i don't know if i'll die on the bed though i will maybe <laughs> die on a couch and watching netflix <laughs> so i i'm curious what what kind of intentionality did you bring to designing your career your lifestyle as as an athlete i mean you, you obviously had this passion for the mountains that that was so deeply uh ingrained in you that like there was no question that this was what you were pursuing but um you know how did kind of the different pieces of it shake out as far as like what what brands you might work with or where you were making money here or there what kind of like you know i guess mindset or, or mental space you gave to media and uh and films or photos or or speaking you know not not every athlete speaks but a lot do so like how did you kind of design this mix for yourself i wish i could say i had more intention into it than i did i think i put a lot of my intention and focus onto the actual expeditions and the climbing and the the style has always been really important to me and just the 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 learning that I get from it and the career side of it in many ways was secondary um I mean, was, was there anything you were doing along the way to pay the bills before adventure was totally paying the bills? Um, I was living pretty hand to mouth for a while. Um, I supplemented work with guiding. I did a lot of heli ski guiding. I had other jobs here in Telluride. I weeded tables for a long time. Uh, I, when I was I'm divorced now, when I was married, once I had kids, I pretty much stopped guiding and cause I couldn't, I couldn't balance all of those things, uh, anymore being a mother guiding and being an athlete. So the guiding fell away at that point. And really it was only in the last few years that I put more, a lot more intention into the career side of it and into really caring about what I was saying and, and who I was working with and understanding that because of that intention I put into the climbing and the mountaineering, it gave me a really good platform to create a job essentially. I mean, as simple as that sounds, but to start making money and start, um, having a voice in the environment, having influence as a mentor, all, all of these things became equally important, as important to me as did just that purity of climbing, which I was so solely focused on for so long. 
And so, and I think that ties in with my kids just getting a little bit older and having a little more freedom and space in that relationship. And I, I feel like at some point I just reached this tipping point in my experience and through the expeditions and the, and sort of the risks I'd taken in that department and that opened doors with National Geographic. It opened doors with Protect Our Winners um, to have a, a platform and end up in, in Davos and at the, the World Economic Forum in January and like speaking about climate change and the things I've seen with my own two eyes. So when you speak about career, it doesn't just totally relate to money and income for me. Although I'm doing much better in that department than I've ever done before. And a lot of that's because of speaking, but it also speaks to the other elements, being a mentor um, and using my influence to inspire people to love the outdoors and speaking about our world and what's going on in our world right now. So did like protect our winners and, and Nat Geo and any of the, you know, the sponsors, did they come knocking on your door because you were, you know, doing amazing stuff out there in the mountains for so long or did you actively pursue? Um, a little, um, I actively pursued national geographic was a part of that expedition where I climbed Lhotse and Everest. So the two 8,000 meter peaks and that door was originally open for me through Conrad. And then I pursued it after that in terms of applying for a National Geographic grant and using that to then go to Myanmar on this crazy expedition. And then through that expedition, I've uh, been able to travel around with National Geographic and be on their live series tour for I'm going into my third season now. And the irony is that that was like the hardest, most insane expedition I've ever been on. And now I, you know, ironically just think that it, it speaks so well to every walk of life. And so it's become a really unique story to tell, even though it was like one of my most, blow up expeditions um and then in terms of protect our winners they uh, that was a mutual connection they sought me out and i sought them out i had a lot of friends that were working with them i'm friends with jeremy jones and i just really like what they do but what what they brought to me was a faith and a confidence in what i have seen in my voice that i didn't know I had, didn't know even existed. And so they have really helped me, um, adventure into that realm. That's awesome. So I can't, I can't imagine being in <laughs> Davos and doing that. So what was that experience like coming from someone who's built their whole career and in, in being in the mountains and, and then being in this really big, public world stage it was crazy it was really intense i i would give anything to be able to like go back and do it have a have a second go at it because i was just so nervous but 
really at the end of the day, I'm not reinventing the wheel. I am just talking about things that I have seen firsthand and experiences I've had with people that live in these certain places. And by telling those stories and getting comfortable with telling those stories, I feel like I am uniquely in the position to, to speak to people from all different walks of life. And that's exactly what Davos was. And while I was nervous and totally intimidated, I basically just told myself that like, you're, you're not, you're, you're just telling your own story. And that's, that's the powerful sort of easy way to, to, share and to maybe influence a few people to reassess their thoughts about the world we live in. It's kind of like the same way that you're talking about how you're talking yourself into like dropping into a line or (laughs) or, actually it's like you got this you have experience in doing this you are the perfect person for this right yeah you are the candidate for this job so that's a great (laughs) lesson in how outdoor adventure translates to other aspects of career and lifestyle totally no that's (laughs) really does i mean and i i think about that with my own kids with Uh, like every generation growing up, it's like that, that connection with the outdoors and those experiences of falling down and busting your knee and getting a bloody cut on your forehead and getting up and keeping going and falling off your bike and failure and success. It's all so that decision-making, all those things are so tied in with, being outside and even if it's just a park in the city, something, you know, climbing a tree, like that gives you confidence. It gives you tools to deal with life because life is hard. Um, And, you know, for me, it's been a place, a, a refuge really to tackle all kinds of problems that life throws at me. So, yeah. Well, I like going <laughs> That is a, a perfect place to, to transition about, you know, c- culminating all of those experiences for you and wh- where it's gotten you. Um, and you, you said the word maybe, I don't know, 10 minutes ago, but it's, uh, it's Stoke. And we <laughs> ask every guest, what does Stoke mean to you? Oh gosh, Stoke. Stoke to me is this like, it's physical. It, it, it's something that wells up from my stomach and it comes, it comes up through my chest and sometimes it gives me the chills, like the full chicken skin. And it's just like, it's like, I don't know, this beam coming out of my eyes when you just are stoked. And whether that's coming from somebody else's energy or it's because I did something that I didn't know I could do or because I saw my kids succeed at something. I don't know. It comes, it stoke comes at surprising times. And I think that's what stoke is to me. Awesome. And so speaking of stoke, you have a couple, so you're involved in this um, national geographic speaker series. Um, You have, 
some events coming up for that, right? So can you tell us a little bit about what that entails and um, where we can check it out? Where our listeners can come hear, hear you and your stoke. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, I mean, the funny thing is, I think when I do these speaker series, I get I get stoked from the audience energy. So um, I get really excited to, to talk to really good audiences. I was just in Charlottesville, Virginia, which is so the cool thing about the Nat Geo thing is I get to go to all these crazy parts of my own country that I would never go to otherwise. So how cool is Charlottesville? I love it there. It is so cool. And the audience was just awesome. They were stoked. They just were so excited and like, um, really interested in the stories and great questions and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but then tomorrow I go to Pittsburgh, hopefully, cause I think it's pretty wintry and stormy. So hopefully I'll make it there. But, um, that's for a Wednesday show. And I think after that, I'm in Park City, Utah. And the other cool thing is through the connection of National Geographic, they're always in these really, really cool theaters. So Charlottesville was the Paramount. Um, there's some, like the Perot Museum in Dallas was really amazing. Um, so yeah, it's, I feel like I'm learning something every time and it's funny getting up and telling these stories because I learn something or I remember something different every time. And the questions, I love the Q and A at the end because it really challenges me to be honest and transparent and, uh, yeah, so that's what I'm doing. So if you're in Pittsburgh on Wednesday, come check it out. <laughs> well, and, and I know you have a lot of these uh, coming up through 2019 yeah. as well. So for uh, for anybody who wants to check it out, I know you can go to hillarynelson.com slash events and, and figure out where you are and, and when. Um, yeah. But what, the, the last thing I do want to ask you is is now that, you know, Lotse is done and and you're moving into this new role with, uh, with the North face and you have these, all the speaker series is coming up already booked and time blocked. Like when, when will you be ready or, or start thinking about what the next big objective is and, and when will you, you know, try and carve time out for that? Ah, that is a good question. I really, like, I, I'm surprisingly still pretty tired from Lotse. Like I came back and had this sort of excitement bubble burst of energy that lasted for a few weeks. And then, and then it was like a delay on the fatigue. So well, I don't think that's surprising. <laughs> maybe not. I'm definitely lacking in motivation and the creativity. I, I, I like the creativity that goes into kind of, uh, planning and organizing these expeditions. So I still need a little time to figure that out. And I mean, right now I'm just, I'm pretty excited. Like we, like we talked about sort of to figure out this, this captain role with North face and get to interact with all the North face athletes as much as I can. Cause I, I just, I really appreciate that, that team and those influences. And beyond that, Time feels very precious to me right now, so I am trying to be more present in it. <laughs> and um, well, now that that makes um, total sense. Yeah, um, 
I'm really excited to, to be home and be in Telluride and, and ski here and cross my fingers. We continue with winter and, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, some, you know, I have ideas of places I want to go and, and things I want to make happen. So, um, I just haven't quite put pen to paper yet. Well, we'll be, uh, ready and waiting to, to cheer you on when you do. And if, <laughs> if you need a, a little help brainstorming or a, uh, a, a adventure buddy, I'm here for you. <laughs> okay. well, that sounds great. <laughs> Awesome. I might need that. I need some. I need a motivator right now. So. <laughs> I I will fill that role for you. <laughs> uh, cool. So, uh, where where can our listeners connect with you? Where's the best place? Where do you like to hang out and and talk to people or share your your adventures? Uh, mostly through Facebook, probably. Um, that's a great place to to message me um instagram as well i like to message on that kind of as it relates to different um photos or things whatever that i that i put up there uh yeah and that's and, just at hillary nelson on instagram yeah. and you're yeah, uh, instagram and same on facebook and uh old-fashioned email works for me too sometimes Nice. Not as good with email as some of the other avenues. No, email has a way of stacking up and and becoming a (laughs) a a to do that falls off. It does, does, doesn't it? Definitely sometimes. Well, thanks so much, Hillary. We really appreciate you chatting with us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me, and it was it was great. You guys had some great questions, so I appreciate that. Thanks. Mm -hmm.